0: Knack, knack. Who's there? Uh, yeah, I'd rather not share that with you. Hey, no sweat. Come on in. Make yourself at home and take anything you want. Wait, you wouldn't let a stranger in your house. Why would you let anonymous traffic scrape your website? Introducing IP Info's Privacy Detection API. A fast and simple way to detect malicious traffic. Activate your free trial today at ipinfo.io. And don't forget to use the promo code CODESTORY at checkout.
1: No one ever told me that we were solving the problem the wrong way. We were improving you know, food safety with a mobile app that was replacing clipboards. so the executives and, and the, the buyers, it was always like, yeah, this is great, we need this, we ought to use this. But what they weren't saying is, this is actually making our life harder.
2: What's really encouraging about Therma and about the, the leadership team is the idea of always trying to find more and more pain points from the customer to keep expanding the product, to keep challenging ourselves, to keep building more and more so that we can be more impactful, more effective. I'm Luca Stepman, I'm the VP of strategy.
1: This is Monik Suri, I'm the founder and CEO at Therma.
0: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry, and build and lead, a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Monica and Lucas created a dead simple way for you to monitor and optimize your cooling system. All this and more on Code Story. Monik Suri calls himself a jack of all trades. He went about his career doing lots of different things and figured out most of what he didn't want to do. He started out an academic, then went into private equity investment, then did a spin in government, then went to law school, and finally landed in the tech world. He grew up in Fresno and ended up back in Cali, specifically in the Bay Area, and outside of tech, he's married with a young family and a dog named Espresso. Lucas Tetman was originally born in Argentina and came to the U.S. around five years ago. He started out his career in public affairs and politics, working at an NGO and promoting the acceleration of sustainability. He came to study at UC Berkeley as a recipient of the Fulbright Scholarship, and eventually he explored solutions via high-impact venture capital. Monica and Lucas stumbled into the problem they are solving today. A decade ago, Monik wanted to solve big public problems, and he saw opportunities in the food industry and created a software solution to replace the clipboard. What they figured out was most people didn't need a digital clipboard. They needed the process automated. This is the creation story of Therma.
1: Therma is trying to improve the way in which we cool our planet in order to reduce the warming that we're causing in the process created by refrigeration and air conditioning in particular. So we talk about cooling, and cooling waste, we're thinking about uh, the energy footprint, uh, the product spoilage, and the refrigerant leaks that are caused by these pieces of equipment. It turns out that cooling causes a lot of warming, and Therma is trying to alleviate that using a combination of sensors, controls, and data science to turn essentially dumb assets into intelligent uh, loads. And by monitoring and controlling these pieces of equipment, we're helping businesses to save money on their utility bill, their food and product costs, and their equipment uh, maintenance and repair cycles. So there's a financial ROI for the asset owners. These are typically commercial customers that we work with, but there's also a positive social ROI by reducing the emissions that uh, these assets cause at scale.
2: Really what's, what's I think interesting about Therma is by having this capability of monitoring and understanding the temperature and humidity data of different refrigeration units and systems is the possibility of doing more than just monitoring, right? And that's really what attracted me to Therma. That's really why why John joined the company early and decided to, to try to understand what else could we do with refrigeration to optimize its use. And so now Therma is really Looking into and and expanding into this vision of controlling refrigeration assets and systems to not only um, be able to keep alerting customers in terms of food waste, in terms of equipment maintenance, but controlling assets to optimize the energy use of those equipment and pair it with the needs of the utility grid.
1: Back in the Early days as a tech entrepreneur, about a decade ago, I wanted to improve big public problems that weren't being solved by private sector activists and private sector organizations. And when we were looking at problems in the world, myself and uh, a couple of my colleagues from the governance lab, the GovLab, a civic tech center I started at NYU and MIT, we thought there was a huge opportunity in the food industry. Uh, I grew up in an ag town, so I knew a little bit about it because I had farms behind my house and had seen growers and, and distributors up upfront and, and close and personal. And we thought that we could replace pen and paper with uh, structured data. So I started a company called Coinspect Precursor to Therma, trying to replace pen and paper and old fashioned workflow with mobile apps. Ultimately, we discovered in building that product that we were solving the right problem, but the wrong way. Most of what people were checking was the temperature around perishables. So the temperature around fruits and vegetables, or proteins, or stuff inside a restaurant, cafe, And they didn't wanna be checking this in the first place. We were replacing a clipboard with a digital clipboard. And we realized after trying to scale that product that a much better way of solving that problem would be to automate it entirely. And so we started thinking about using sensors in the summer of 2019, and that's how Therma came about. Therma is short for temperature, humidity, energy, remote monitoring application, team of nerds. And the product really took off. Uh, Monitoring of refrigeration ended up catching food waste and spoilage events around that time I met Lucas and uh, we started thinking about what more can we do if we can monitor refrigeration continuously with sensors, you know, how, how can we kind of build the impact from there?
2: As, as Manik was saying, I met the company at, at that time. I was working in an impact venture capital firm called Gratitude Railroad. Thermo was racing in seed round, and it had a very interesting prospect in the cold storage warehouse em- environment. They were thinking about displacing temperature into different parts of the storage room to actually consume less energy. So it was exciting to understand that refrigeration was not only about monitoring, but it, there was something that could be done to actually optimize the use of it. So I joined Therma at that time, really trying to think through what could be done now that we had this accurate readings that could not be accessible before. So started looking into the cold storage warehouses, started looking into the verticals around transit, trucking, fleet. And ultimately, what we understood was that there is a huge need to actually control refrigeration units across the US. There's more than a million sites that own big refrigeration units like walk-in freezers, walk-in coolers, that are actually not optimized, that are actually working and cycling in a, in a dumb way. So they are not paired to the energy prices, they're not paired to the energy demands or needs from the utility, and they're just cycling whenever they need to be paired with the internal temperature of the fridge. By allowing the, the refrigeration to be monitored and know the temperature inside, we can do things such as pre-cool the refrigerator to actually make it run whenever energy prices are low or whenever the grid needs it the most.
0: Let's dive into the MVP then. So the first version of the product, and this might be pre-Lucas or this might be Lucas when Lucas is coming in. I'll let you two decide. But the MVP, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life?
1: We started working on that in summer of 2019, a little bit before Lucas joined. And that product was essentially, you know, an in-house developed piece of hardware. So we actually built sensors. We went through a climate Hardware accelerator in Brooklyn called UrbanX, which was run by BMW, and they had a bunch of hardware design and you know industrial manufacturing capabilities. So they helped us source a contract manufacturer and we developed a, you know a spec sheet and actually designed and built sensors. These were kind of small pieces of electronics about the size of half a deck of cards. Uh, we tried to design this to be a, a really easy user experience, but the sensors uh, still require you know, physical installation. So uh, we set it up you know with a simple mobile app to go with the sensor. So you could label them and mark the thresholds and then drop them into a piece of refrigeration. So that MVP required about nine months of work. We shipped that first sensor product in early 2020 using a contract manufacturer in the bay area in oakland i think we did a 500 sensor run at that time super expensive we made every mistake you could make building hardware you know over architected under designed and then we started to improve from there
0: so with any mvp right let's stick on that mvp for a minute with any mvp you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs and i could probably cherry pick a few things from what you said, but I wanna ask it directly, what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make with that MVP, with the, you know, making all the mistakes or cutting down the features, and how do you cope, how did you cope with those decisions?
1: I think one of the hardest things is uh, to prioritize with an MVP, you know, truly minimum viable. What is the actual product set that's needed and what is nice to have? And I think we were struggling early on to figure out which were the features and you know, the requirements that had to go into the product and what could be avoided. They're having very little capital helps. You know, I think necessity is the mother of invention and innovation, that phrase comes to mind. But we ended up stripping out a lot of the features that we'd originally uh, designed. So instead of going for a web dashboard that had fancy reporting and fancy user setup and all kinds of alerts and notifications, we went for a very simple out-of-the-box experience with a a mobile app and a bare-bones website. So the mobile app we realized was more important because that's what you needed to get things started in the field and actually use the system. The web application we knew was going to be something we had to develop later on. And advanced reporting, I think we realized uh, after a few months of development that there wasn't going to be much reporting without the product being in market at some scale. You know, without a lot of data, there's not much reporting to speak of. So we scaled back the, the architecture and the design of any reporting and Integration, you know, capabilities, which left us with, I think, a really lightweight and simple product, and that was something that we partly pursued intentionally and partly were forced into by lack of resources. The product got a lot of feedback from customers as being very easy and and simple. You know, people described it as consumer grade, even though this is a business application, business product. That was really exciting because we were going for something that would actually capture market share and get people's attention in a segment or a sector that very few technology companies are innovating in. I think that the fact that we made it really lightweight and easy to deploy with very few features, initially we thought that was going to be a problem, we thought that was going to hold us back. And we discovered that it actually made it easier to get customers because they weren't looking for a fancy solution. They were looking for a really simple alarm or inventory insurance product.
0: You've got your MVP, it's working, you've learned a ton and you you know you're getting traction uh, early days traction right how did you progress the product from that point and I I would suspect this is this is where Lucas you know enters into the equation as well how did you mature the product uh, progress it and to wrap that question in a box a little bit what I'm looking for is how you went about building your roadmap and how you went about deciding okay this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Therma
1: When I started the conversation with Lucas, we were just at the point where the monitoring of refrigeration, this kind of core baseline product was starting to take off. We were getting 3x growth in 2020. And again, seeing that type of growth rate kicking off 2021. And we started thinking, well, what more can we do beyond monitoring refrigeration? How do we create more value for the customer? And how do we create more impact, a positive impact on the climate? And that was the lens through which we were looking at product development.
2: One of the interesting things now that we had a, a product that found some market fit and that was growing, should we now start trying to get into other verticals and try to look for other use cases for our current product and make a roadmap based on different customers? Or should we stay in the customer type where we found the market fit, right? Which was really restaurants, convenience stores. And some hospitality as well, some food service in, in cafeterias. But there was this very attractive market in the cold storage warehouse, as we were saying. There was also a big buzz around transit and refrigeration because COVID 19 was what's happening at the time and vaccines were were obviously top of mind so there was a big exploration around okay we found market fit in a segment on the on the edge of the cold chain as we call it but should we look into cold storage warehouses should we look into transit so a deep exploration was done there to really understand whether we should build a product roadmap based on other verticals or or if we should stay with the customers that we knew that actually liked the product that were buying the product and so we ultimately decided to focus and, and really think about the needs of our customers that we had at the time. So restaurants, convenience stores, food services, as I was saying, and we understood that there was more to be done, as I said previously, on refrigeration. So going beyond monitoring to actually controlling the site, tapping into one of their major pain points that we found, which was really the, the energy, the energy prices, paying the utility bills, which has now risen due to macroeconomic conditions, and and it's now obviously right timing for, for us as well. But that's really how we decided to, to go about creating the pro- product roadmap, which was focusing more and more on the customer that we already knew, on the customer that already liked our product and that was, was buying it, to tap into more of their day-to-day concerns.
0: Okay, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you?
1: It's, I think, ultimately maybe the most important factor in building any organization, startup or otherwise. It's all about the people. It really is. You know, we're still a pretty small company. We're a little over 60 people. It still very much feels like an intimate group. And I think that the reality is with small early stage companies everyone is wearing multiple hats and having to do more work than is reasonable in a given period. You know, you're doing seven days of work in five. Another way of describing it is startup life feels like dog years because one year feels like seven. But that's, I think, part of the fun and I think part of what we filter for, which is people who really care and really want to roll up their sleeves and and, uh, walk through walls. So I think hustle, grit, um, commitment, and then uh, related to those, I think uh, orientation or a passion for sustainability and climate, those are common features you'll find across our team. You know, they bleed green. We have a lot of folks that care about the natural world, about the balance and the food supply chain, about leaving the planet better off for their children or future generations. And then combined with the work ethic and the commitment, I think there's also a general orientation and a filter we have for people who have a, a can-do attitude. You know, we're trying to kind of do things that are, are historic and, and novel. We're trying to build the future, as I sometimes say to, to our team. And that requires being willing to try things that are either risky or might fail, but still believing in the possibility. There's not a lot of room for, um, you know, pessimism and negativity in that. And I think as a result, you'll find our team generally, you know, though it's a super eclectic group, it looks, you know, very similar in some ways. Kind of intense work ethic, passion for the planet, and a belief that, you know, things can get better and a willingness to do what it takes. Beyond that, you know, obviously we have a broad set of skills. We have data scientists, full stack engineers, product designers, product managers, sales and marketing. We are hiring an HVAC R technician to do installations, you know, and a whole bunch of other roles. So it's a very broad skill set across the team and we've hired folks from politics, from culinary school, folks that have worked at places like Meta, folks that have started their own companies or both. Is that a one-size-fits-all background?
2: Overall, people that are not afraid of failing fast, right? People that understand that to build a future, you need to actually be daring and be willing to, to fail fast, get back on your feet and try again and try again and really Keep trying to, to actually make this succeed um, is really what we look for. And I got to say that the way we hire sometimes involves taking very long walks in the park with Manic.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's very Steve Jobs-like, Manic.
1: I appreciate that. We luckily have lots of nice parks in the Bay Area, so no, no shortage of options to choose from.
0: Well, let's flip to scalability, and this will be interesting given, you know, a component that you're using is is obviously hardware and hardware installation, but there's a software aspect of it, there's a people aspect of it, and scalability is always on the minds of a founder and a founding team. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow in any sort of capacity?
2: Tied to the idea of, of building an MVP, the idea is always to create a product that doesn't scale at the beginning, right? Um, create a product that can actually work with its minimum requisites and be as cost effective as possible. And that's, I think, what we created at Therma, at least mainly on this second turn of the product, where we are actually building controls and optimization on the software layer to control these assets and, and drive energy optimization. So really we started this whole iteration of the company with business analysts that you know were exploring the ideas with me and with the team and really just going and running into a few McDonald's locations installing along with technicians off the shelf hardware that we that we found reliable to control refrigeration and then really not even building the software layer having folks that were, you know, around the clock really waiting for alerts to actually turn on and off the compressors of the refrigerators, turning them on and off manually, and seeing the results on the, on the utility bills. So the idea of building to scale really comes after you, you build that MVP. And after that, obviously, once you, once you understood what are the minimum requisites, you start building that MVP on a, on a scalable way, but always gathering uh, requirements from the, from the customer. And then allowing your product to keep growing on a scalable manner so that so that you can keep scaling based on the on the customer's requirements.
1: It's always a kind of you know, two steps forward, one step back. You know, we've had to refactor our code base a couple of times as we've scaled. Some of the backend architecture has had to be redesigned, some of the brand and and front facing or user-facing skin, so to speak, has been redeveloped. So you kind of work within the constraints and the knowledge and the customer verticals of any given time. And when we started, it was you know a very small, limited resource effort with just a very narrow niche. As we've expanded both the footprint and had more product deployed and taken on more use cases in adjacent verticals, we've had to go back and revisit some of those decisions, which I think is normal for, for any product as it's growing.
0: As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
1: I feel most proud of the way in which we've maintained a North Star. You know, I think that I'm most proud that we've uh, continued to try and do good and do well and not settle or not sell out to other missions and visions along the way. It's hard, I think, to find opportunities to uh, create products and services that both help improve economic outcomes for individuals or businesses and also leave society better off. You know, it's not easy, I think, to do that. And certainly that's what's motivated me as an entrepreneur. And I think folks like Lucas, and I feel proud that Therma is continuing to, you know, take that head on and, and be motivated as a team and as an organization by that, you know, that desire. I think energy and uh, food waste, both of those sectors, you know, there's lots of positive financial ROI and lots of positive climate ROI. So it's a great space to, to, to be innovating in. But yeah, there were lots of opportunities along the way to go in other directions that we didn't pursue. And uh, we've almost run out of money a few times and we're still here. So I guess I feel proud of that.
2: What's really encouraging about Therma and about the the leadership team is always keeping an open mind to do more and do more, obviously, as, as long as it's related to a positive climate impact. But the idea of always trying to find more and more pain points from the customer to keep expanding the product, to keep challenging ourselves to keep building a new new segment of the product, keep building new features, keep building more and more so that we can be more impactful, more effective, create more ROI for the customers, but really not staying put into whatever worked already and and expand, but keep producing more and more impact um, for the planet and for the customer.
0: Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
1: How long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's so many. I think part of, you know, my grandmother who's ninety-three likes to say, you know, my hair didn't get white in the sun, you know, which I think is, you know, another way of describing experience is the sum total of all the mistakes we've made. You know, I think one of the mistakes that I look back on as as a You know, a painful one that, you know, cost a lot of energy and time was not listening early on to customers, not to what they were saying, but to what they were doing. Before we launched Therma, I had been working for three years scaling co-inspect, collaborative inspect. And I think I crisscrossed the country, Noah probably hit 40 states selling that product. Yeah, really, you know, five-person team, eight-person team, just a little bit of capital. No one ever told me that we were solving the problem the wrong way or that the product wasn't useful or good for businesses and good for society. We were improving you know, food safety and, and food sustainability with a mobile app that was replacing clipboards. But what we didn't get was massive traction and rapid adoption. It was a very hard sales cycle. Users constantly complained about the product businesses were slow to expand and recommend. So, you know, the executives and and the the buyers, you know, never said, "Hey, this product doesn't work or or is bad or we shouldn't buy it." It was always like, "Yeah, this is great. We need this. We ought to use this." But what they weren't saying is this is actually making our life harder. We were doing things a certain way on paper. You're actually forcing us to do work that we were either marking as done on a clipboard whenever it was convenient, in some cases pencil whipping it. Or in many ways, like forcing work to be done that was uh, low priority. And so adding to their task list in an industry that's already dealing with lots and lots of difficult tasks and low margin. We lost a lot of time and spent a lot of energy only to discover that we were solving the problem the wrong way. Uh, And we weren't aligning with human incentives uh, or business incentives. So I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I can think of. Ultimately, that's what led us to start thinking about automation and sensors. And that's a thermo. You know, was was born, but uh, it was a painful lesson.
0: This will be fun and, and exciting given the, just the, the really cool nature of the product you've built and how helpful it is. What does the future look like for the product and for your team?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the world right now for Therma and companies like Therma we're helping businesses reduce energy costs, food costs and equipment costs. So uh, all of those are already very, very high or high and rising in an era where electricity is at an ultra high price point, inflation is still running high. And so businesses are dealing with a bunch of challenges. If they can use technologies that can save them money, and, and this is hard dollars, you know, actual you know, uh, savings that they can measure on their utility bill, that's really interesting, I think, to a lot of businesses right now in, in what's turning out to be a very tough uh, economic environment this year. On top of that, we have a climate ROI. We are able to measure and starting to uh, put in the product CO2 equivalent, CO2 e emissions reduction uh, metrics that are tied to when and how electricity use is reduced and uh, food waste is prevented. So there's a double win there. And that's obviously really significant if you're following the news around climate change. It's actually getting worse, sadly, year over year. So the climate problem isn't getting any easier. As a result, lots and lots of incentives are going into helping reduce warming. And I think that the double win there, the ability to save businesses hard dollars while also creating measurable reduction on their CO2 emissions, is a powerful combination in 2023 and beyond.
2: I think the future of the company is, is a company that actually controls assets at the edge of the cold chain. So of most of the restaurants and convenience stores and food services, wherever there's a refrigerator and a cooling asset should be and will be controlled by Therma to actually optimize it and make it intelligent so that we can avoid consuming energy when it's dirtiest and when it's most expensive.
0: Okay, let's switch to you guys individually. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why.
1: Well, I have a friend who's been influential in, in my thinking. He's a, my former roommate from college. He is, uh, you know, both a really close personal friend and also I'd say a, a mentor of mine. Uh, he is in his buddy Shaw and he runs the Clinton Health Access Initiative, CHAI. Which is a, a kind of a, a top-tier nonprofit that works on public health and global development. And we talk a lot. We've been friends for over 20 years. We were roommates in school. He's always encouraging me to scale myself and to do less, but to do to you know to work smarter rather than harder. You know, and and and, and to think about what are the things you know within the company and also just more broadly where I can create outsized impact. So to really focus on, you know, my zone of genius and to, to play to my strengths, that's that's hard because I, I think for, for some people, myself included, you know, I like to try and do a lot of different things and feel useful in a lot of different areas. That's maybe a good trait early on as an entrepreneur, but it doesn't scale well if you try and do everything yourself. So um, he's been super influential. We go for uh, bike rides in, in the Bay Area and talk about leadership and organization building. And I think he's got a few, you know, a couple of thousand people in his org now, and has been really good at this uh, the whole time I've known him for for two decades. So he's he's definitely super influential in my own thinking about how to scale myself as a leader.
2: It's hard for me to pinpoint one single person, but I think definitely influenced by a lot of the last generation of social entrepreneurs that that actually started this this new idea of enterprises with a with a with an impact early on you know companies like tom's for example where you know there was a cross subsidy between their product and donating a piece of it or a portion of it to causes up to this point where the idea is really to to have startups where you don't need to actually cross subsidize but you can actually find this, this impact tied to, to revenue and tied to, to essentially profit. So I think this whole movement is, is really what moved me. And I, and I think a lot of people on, on our generation to start thinking about work and growth and startups and, and the private sector as something that can be tied directly with impact and something that, that encourages us to, to work on a day-to-day basis, having, having some meaning and, and impact.
0: Okay, gentlemen, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
1: Don't lose that passion. Do not, do not lose the energy. Don't lose the, the sense of possibility. It is very easy to get beat down. I think as an entrepreneur, I have not yet had a day where I haven't felt at some point like a failure. Or like I failed in some way. It is just a very, very difficult thing uh, to stick through any commitment that requires building from scratch or creating the future. So I would say, you know, that energy, that that belief in oneself, don't lose that.
2: I think what's really, really important as an entrepreneur is to understand that. You have to let go of your of your ego and that, you know, uh, one, one of the things that we usually talk about with Manic is, you know, we are people that didn't fail too much in their lives. We, you know, had good grades when when we were in high school, when we were in college, you know, we got good jobs, good experiences along the way. And then all of a sudden, when you get the idea of being an entrepreneur and, and you get this calling, you have to switch this, this mode and, and start thinking that, failing is actually part of it right and failing is how you grow and failing is how you succeed and you have to be comfortable with failing several times and the faster you get there and the faster you you get used to the idea of trying and failing and trying and failing the better you're gonna you're gonna be um, positioned to actually become a successful entrepreneur so i would say we haven't been thought that failing is a good thing or a positive thing, but we should switch that mode and and get used to it.
0: Fantastic pieces of advice. Well, gentlemen, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of Therma.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having us on, Noah. Thank
0: you, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story.